0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full turns at MintMobile.com.
1: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? Heavy on
2: the Mr. Conrad. I'm doing pretty good, actually. Uh, I have my 17th skin cancer treatment this morning as we're recording this. And, uh, so that means I've got Wednesday, Thursday and Friday left this week. Then I think, uh, two more or three more next week then I'm done. And then at that time, I hope to hear the news that you're cancer free Jr. So I'll know that next week. So I got much on my mind <laughs> other than healing from this shit, but I, I, I posted some, a picture the other day that got a little crazy ass play because people, I don't, my leg looks like fucking beef jerky. That radiation has burnt the hell out of, you know, everything. And thank God they've improved the processes Conrad to where I have a custom made boot that when I lay flat on the table, my, my foot fits in this boot so that, uh, the radiation only hits the cancer area. It doesn't go everywhere else, but you know, it's not an exact science here. So I got my leg is it hurts and it's, uh, stings and then it, then it throbs. It's just, uh, but they told me about all this. Uh, it's not like I woke up one day and said, Oh, this is going to hurt, huh? They, they told me what it was going to be like. And, and now it's bubbling up and it's got like little blisters. So they all got to pop. So I really got a lot to look forward to this weekend. <laughs> so it'll be all right. You know, Hey, look, people have gone through worse shit than me and, uh, you know, I just got my eye on December 29th and, and getting back on dynamite. It's my goal. It's always been my goal. I designed this plan with the doctor's advice and their counsel that we could pull this off. So, uh, as we had it, it's the 29th, which is next Wednesday is my, uh, that morning's my last treatment. And therefore I have my consultation with, with the cancer specialist and hope they send me on my merry way. So, so in theory
1: that day, they'll declare you cancer-free and that night we'll hear you on TNT. Uh,
2: oh, um, yeah, that's the idea, buddy. I'm going to walk out of here. I might be a little, have a little bit of a limp, but, uh, by the time I go on the air, nobody's going to see that anyway. They're going to see me sitting there talking and i look forward to that. I really do look forward to it.
1: Just tell the kids and, who ask about the lamp. It's your gangster lane. They'll know what that means. <laughs> Yeah, I think,
2: yeah, man, it's my gangster lane,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you dig, you dig baby. So, uh, but I'm just working through it. It's really made me a better man. I think, cause this is a challenge. This whole thing's really been a challenge physically and mentally. And, uh, just sit there at night sometimes and wonder, well, oh, what if on the next Wednesday, I don't get declared cancer free. And I still got to battle this son of a bitch. So what we do there, we battle, just keep fighting until it's all gone. And, uh, that's how I look at it. I don't, I don't have any, well, what if don't, I know if. is I'm going to beat it. I have to beat it. And I can tell you this, everybody that listens to the show, you, you don't know how, how important you are to us, not just from us earning a couple of bucks, but from the standpoint of your the support, yeah, and the good wishes and all those things, it's just terrific. And I I I see that a lot of our brethren in the uh, wrestling media enjoy taking clips out of our Unart conversations and stuff and use them for uh, clickbait. Hey, if it's getting more people to listen to our show,
1: I'm happy for that. Of
2: course, I don't care. We don't care. So, uh, where are you going to be during the Alabama game?
1: I'm gonna be right here at home hosting a New Year's Eve party, hopefully celebrating with a cocktail that uh, Alabama has beat Cincinnati. But uh I want to get our predictions on that next week. Unbelievably, we'll be talking about another kind of bowl, Battle Bowl. It's the thirty year anniversary of starcade ninety one, which is a real stinker of a show. So it should be fun to hear, <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. me and Jim uh yuck yuck about that one. But today, on Christmas Eve's Eve, what a topic we've got stone cold, Steve Austin, who just recently turned uh, 57 as we were recording just a few days ago. Yep. And we're going to break down his career from 95 to 96. And he starts 95 in WCW. And of course makes a handful of appearances, most of the time working with Jim Duggan and in a losing effort, by the way, uh, and then ultimately, uh, beats him in the first round of the, uh, United States title tournament, and then loses to Randy Savage. And that is ultimately Austin's last appearance in WCW. How crazy is it to think that Steve's last TV appearance for WCW was against the macho man?
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool. I didn't realize that, but I wasn't there either. Right. I had I'd left, uh, WCW at that time. It's just funny. You know, uh, Steve is a hard fit politically because he's so outspoken and he knows what he's talking about. And so when he. You, you have to understand the processes of uh, addressing a superior. We all do, no matter what our jobs are. You got to know how to communicate with the head honcho and uh, what not to say. As Vince McMahon used to say all the time, got a goddamn chair. You got to learn what not to say." <laughs> so, uh, but he was right. I, I sometimes was a little bit blustery, as you can confirm. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, he, he Steve was hard to connect with. And when you, when you're hard to connect with, it makes it more difficult for that body, that senior body, that administrative body to create for you because they don't like you. They don't care if you get over or not. You're a healthy body at that time. And so, and you're a really good worker. That's why you were putting in the ring with Savage and some of these other cats. So it's, it was, uh. He was way off the grid. He was way off the grid. He had he had no cachet there whatsoever at that time.
1: It's interesting too. I mean, everybody listening to this knows the story. He works in Japan. He hurts his bicep again, and ultimately he's going to wind up getting released. And a lot of people are going to chalk it up to a cost cutting measure. And don't forget, this is pre Nitro. So Eric Bischoff and company are trying to load up the roster with guys like Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko. Uh, he's trying to you know sort of load the wagon, if you will, for nitro, but it's fun yep. to think about what if the bicep injury didn't happen? What if Steve Austin really got to stretch his wings on nitro, man, the whole wrestling business could have looked a whole lot different, right?
2: Well, it would have looked a lot different if he had been able to do what he wanted to do, right? That sounds uh negative. I don't mean it to be negative whatsoever. He knew what he did. Well, he knew what he brought to the game and he, he needed a platform. To be able to express that. And I, if considering with all those massive egos coming in and that payroll getting bigger and bigger and bigger, I don't know that Eric would have taken a chance on Steve. I, I don't know that he wouldn't, but there's no guarantee that he would. We got lucky. We got lucky in WWE when we got him.
1: Uh, Dave Meltzer had this to say WCW did fire Steve Austin on September 15th. Austin 30 was considered for years as perhaps the best young wrestler in the United States, his career languished this past year, almost to the point he wasn't even spoken of much like his former tag team partner, Brian Pillman, who as a wrestler had made a lot of money by signing good contracts, but had great careers ruined by a WCW organization that has been both unwilling and unable to get any wrestlers over. Austin had been in the doghouse with WCW management over the past year over a reputation for not exactly keeping quiet with his discontent about how he was used, <laughs> and for those involved, they saw it as a cost-cutting measure, seeing the 200,000 or so figure he was earning per year while not being involved in any significant program as perhaps wasted money. While on a tour in New Japan in June, Austin tore his tricep and has been out of action since, and is believed to be about 6 weeks being ready from Able to return from action. Of course, this paints WCW as a real class organization for firing a guy while he was injured when he suffered the injury on a tour, the company sent him on, he would continue. Austin's main problem appeared to be in the cliquish nature of WCW. He didn't hang with the right crowd. When the Hogan camp got into power, they dismissed Austin as a highly paid wrestler who was a good worker with no charisma. And in their view of wrestling work rate meant next to nothing. The Hogan clique basically consists of WWFers from the mid eighties when wrestling was hot and thus could dismiss any wrestler who came along later as being quote unquote, unable to draw money. He wasn't in the flare click either. So nobody spoke up for his work rate on the inside of the meetings. As a result, Austin was given little chance to show his stuff after his career ending injury of his, uh, main opponent, Ricky steamboat. Austin then suffered a knee injury, which kept him out for a few months before he was plugged into a new program. And then of course he went to Japan and suffered the tricep tear. So politics and wrestling, man, they've been there since day one, probably not going anywhere anytime soon. Right, Jim? No, they're, they're not going anywhere.
2: We'll be talking about things of this nature for years to come because there's always intriguing behind the scenes stories, but Steve was not a good politician. Uh, he was very outspoken and he, he, was, he was very clear-headed about what he wanted. And then so sometimes it I just happened to me many times where he would get impatient because you didn't see his vision. And that's just a matter of continuing to communicate. I was one of those guys that saw a lot in him and I was also one of those guys that uh, was going to keep listening keep trying to understand him and that's why we developed such a strong relationship that lasts to this day because he trusts me. He trusted me then when he didn't trust anybody else and to this very day, we're still, you know, we're, we're, we're as close as you can be with him living in Nevada, me living in Florida, Oklahoma.
1: Florida home. I like that. Um, were you, was he on your radar immediately? I mean, yeah. I, I guess we should add some context, you know, in September of 95, you have not yet assumed, uh, the, the role of talent relations, but you're still in some meetings and whatnot. Are you bringing yeah. his name up or, or what's the rap on him from other parties? You told us what Vince thought that maybe he was too outspoken or what have you.
2: Well, I think that the reputation that Steve had, he's too outspoken. <coughs> I, I just positioned it like this to Vince if we got a great talent here, which I truly believe that we have the potential of having a great talent and Steve, he's 30 years old, something like that. Yeah. 30. I said, hell he's a, he's a huge diamond in the rough to me. If I were in your position, Vince, I would do all I could to Learn how to communicate with Steve and, and, and earn his trust. And so, uh. Cause I think in the long run, it's going to pay off dividends and we got lucky and it did, so it was just a matter of Steve fitting in, uh, socially. Like I said, hell, he, if he could dress by himself, you'd love that. But he's, but that's not to say he wasn't personable and fun to talk to. He just, you, he only let you in so far. And if you're a good listener, you know, when your audience has turned your ass off. And so sometimes he would. People could say that he had
1: unplugged. He was done. Let me ask you this about Austin. It's another one of those hypotheticals that I know you don't always enjoy, but just humor me for a minute. You know, a lot of people oh, talk about. Well,
2: Conrad, I love you, Conrad. It's, it's holidays.
1: And <laughs> look and look weird. at those.
2: My God, those chinks. They're wonderful. They look like. They look like
1: little mistletoe.
2: Oh gosh! Do I tell you I have a mistletoe belt buckle?
1: Do you really? No. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I bet that comes in handy, but I don't know that you should wear it on, <laughs> on TV day. Yeah. I don't, I don't wear it to the gro to publics. <laughs> yeah. Just in case. Yeah. You know, so, you know, a lot of people have debated over the years, especially when they talk about, you know, the mid eighties Hogan or McMahon, you know, who really did it. You couldn't have done it without each other, blah, blah, blah. Now let's fast forward a decade later. If Austin is not fired by WCW, And the NWO still becomes a thing and they get white hot and they're just thumping WWE in every possible metric. And Austin never comes along because he's on the other channel. Maybe he's not stone cold. Maybe he's just languishing in the mid card, but you don't have a stone cold, Steve Austin in your back pocket. Do you think Vince still could have won the thing in the end without Austin? Well, I,
2: it's hard to say Conrad, but you know, we, we, uh, a lot of talents really evolved and became, it took giant steps. Almost. You could almost see it every week, uh, at getting better at what they do. You know, we had a young Chris Jericho. We had Dwayne Johnson. He's he became pretty good. Uh, you know, triple H became a great heel. Shawn Michaels made his got return. We got a lot of good pieces. Steve wasn't the only piece in this puzzle, but he was the biggest piece that let that pulled the wagon that a lot of those guys jumped on and, and to ignite their careers. So, uh, it's a great, it's a great question. You got to hope that one of those guys I mentioned is going to take the ball and run with it. Like Austin did. Austin just took the ball. To Everybody say out of everybody's hands and said, I'm the, I'm the man. I'm the guy here. And if I'm the only one that can see it, I don't give a shit. Just watch what I do. I, I remember the one of the most, <clears throat> one of the most, uh, Intense conversations we had one time was uh about him turning baby face. God damn he hated that. And he cussed me and I said, it's not gonna happen. I'm not going for it. I said, Oh Jesus Christ, you're not gonna go for it. Why are you here? Why are you here? I know why you're here. Let me answer that question. You're here to make money. Right or wrong? Yep. I said, Well, Here's, I was looking at these old records the other day and I gave him some numbers, some merchandise numbers of what Hogan earned back in the day. And, uh, so they've been years later, the information was obsolete, but it was accurate and I said, so you don't want that t-shirt money. You don't want that no bump money. You got, I said, I know you're smarter than that. I know you're smarter than that. You just. That doesn't make any sense, Steve. I said, and, and uh, here's the beautiful part about it. The way you work, you don't beg off much. You don't, you don't do typical heel shit. So I just felt like I said, you're missing a boat here, man. And so then I remembered the checks were getting ready to come out. He was t- turning, he was getting hot. The checks are coming out for that, that quarter. And I asked the check guy, uh, I said, what, uh, Bring me a list of the, of all the royalty checks. Cause I want to congratulate guys. And I said, in, in, in certain cases, I don't want to present them to the check myself. And Austin got a million dollar check for selling fucking t-shirts. Austin three sixteens, the original. And I said, ain't you glad we had that conversation that day? Cause you just made an extra mill. That's a lot of money for, for a poor kid in Texas who was eating potatoes and trying to make a living in Memphis. So, uh, but he was hard headed, He but he got it. And then he became, he and rock were the greatest, uh, they understood how they got paid better than anybody else. And they would ask good questions and they would, you know, participate and so forth and it motivated them. It was like I said, Austin had all those shirts that were designed early. He, he did them all. Those are all his deals. And I don't know that he would have had it any other way. Conrad, he might get a rough drawing. He might get one of your guys to furnish him. Here's four pieces of sample art. Yeah. And then move on from there. But God damn man, he touched everything he handled. He took like Vince does every phase of the business that Steve was involved in. He, he had, he had some input, significant input as a matter of fact. And that's what he'd been working for all along. Just let me just humor me, me share these ideas. And, and that's what, that's what he, that's what we, he did, but it's cause he, he learned to trust a few people. He learned to trust his own judgment and, uh, his oh, he has got instincts of freedom, right? We've told this story before on the show when he was going to turn heel at WrestleMania 17, uh, that that's, I, I said, I, I think it's crazy. To me, it's illogical Yeah, and and his uh, response to me was, I think we owe it to him. He wants to do it so badly. He wants to be a heel so badly for whatever reason. He thinks he's going to have more fun being a heel. And then he became a comedic character. Nobody wanted to hate him. And that's what's a big issue. I, I heard, I've heard a lot of guys talk about that lately. Are there any true heels left in wrestling? I'm sure there are. But there are not many that don't, uh, work for the pop as opposed to work for the heat. And it's a big difference in psychologically and how you approach the game. So, uh, but they were, he, he could try as hard as he wanted to. He ain't going to get no tears of significance or a boost of significance uh, after that turn. It just was not in the cards.
1: Let's, uh, let's mention that after he leaves WCW, he shows up in ECW for a short, but rather memorable run. Uh, Paul Heyman is going to let him be him. He'll mock Hulk Hogan. He'll take shots at Eric Bischoff, and then he'll just pour his heart out into the camera one night. And the result is even Kevin Nash, uh, mentions to Vince that Steve Austin is the hottest free agent out there. And of course the context of the time is this is September, October, November, December. This is 95, not 96. So Nash is still very much on the WWE side of the fence, but Austin clearly has allies here, uh, even in the locker room.
2: Yeah. Well, S- Steve was, was very well-respected. Uh, he didn't bitch and moan about things that he couldn't control. There's not enough hot water in the dressing the dressing room is too small. I didn't, I need a better place to park all that shit, <coughs> uh, He's, he, he just, he had, he had, he's a man's man still is. And that's why he's so well-respected. Uh, he wasn't a bullshitter. If you sit down with Steve to have a talk and you want his advice on something, bet your ass, you're going to get honest advice. You may not like what you hear, but honesty is going to be forthright.
1: I wanted to ask, um, you know, whenever you're talking about bringing in a new talent like this to the WWF. Does Vince sort of have in his mind's eye where a guy is, I ask because you wrote in Austin's book that he was brought in basically to be a mechanic and probably not achieve more than the intercontinental title does Vince, in your opinion, look at a guy and say that could be a top guy or, Hey, he, he could be a good mid Carter.
2: Yeah. I think all bookers do. Yeah. And what you hope you get Conrad in those hires is overachievers. I, we thought he was a, we thought he was, uh, at best the intercontinental title level when the, when the intercontinental title actually meant more perhaps than it does today. Uh, and that's not a jab. It's just a matter. Of, I think there are too many titles in the all around business. Uh, they start getting diluted, but, uh, he, he was a man's man and guys liked him. He could talk sports. He could talk rock and we could talk rock and roll, uh, you know, Food, drinking, he was a man's man, and uh, he was a tough bastard. And so he earned the respect of everybody to work with, whether it be uh, for $25 a night in Memphis to
0: bigger money later on. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best in class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal.
1: Uh, we also want to mention the, the change in the appearance. When we last saw him in WCW, he had these long flowing locks and now he's got more of a crew cut look. Uh, and I think he said before that that was inspired by Pulp Fiction, the Bruce Willis character. what do you think of the crew cut? Look,
2: I didn't lie. I didn't mind it quite frankly. Uh, I'm not going to say it's better than the bald. Uh, cause I thought like his look what it is now. What is he develop? And come on, Conrad, he's done a lifestyle. Look at these, look at these guys on ESPN, for example, uh, watch how many shows, watch any of them you want to watch or the football shows and how many people, how many on-air talents there have a shaved head and a goatee. When did, when did that become popular? Oh, I can tell you when this guy named Stone Cold Steve Austin started breaking the
1: glass. That's right.
2: So he, he ignited a, uh, a, a style a vibe and that look then identified with, with success and toughness, two traits that men love. There's only probably one or two things in life. We want more than success and love. And one of them might be, you know, romantically oriented. But he was, a uh, he, he, j- that was just him, man. He he was just really, he, he, could have, he, he would always been the captain of the team. And, and I don't know if he won about pop vote, but cause people, they might've been afraid of his power, but I, I, uh, he, he just, he had to change so many things in his life. He was going through so much turmoil and, you know, uh, and, and the drinking was an issue. And he'll tell you that today, you know, for both of us, drinking was an issue, but that's how you escaped. And it's a, it's an excuse. It's not a reason folks. It's an, it's an excuse. And it's a big escape that way. What we all had to do, you had to find your exit and, and that, that room that the exit leads to. And that's what, uh, Steve found his room and, uh, and it events Vince. Vince Vince had to change his thinking a lot. Cause I, we all knew that Vince over the years was partial to some talents. Ironically, they're the talents that do the most money.
1: Yeah. Ta-da. How, how
2: about that? Who'd have thunk it? So, <clears throat> uh, but Vince changed a lot in how he managed talent using Steve as a, as a starting place, Conrad, he saw he had, he had. In the same way today, talents today have to be managed differently than they were managed when I was doing it because they're smarter. They're more, they have more product knowledge. They're, they're not interesting for, because, uh, of need, or it's their only job they could have in this world. They're in the business because it's what they've always wanted to do. We got the, we got a locker room for those guys at AEW. And it's, it's, it's I miss that. I miss seeing them. I'll see him for the first time in uh, over a month, hopefully uh, next week. So uh, you know it's just a different way you got to in other words, Conrad, you got to communicate with and I, now you you've been in the mortgage business for, for a good while now. You developed a lot of success because the product is great and the service is wonderful. I think Raphael's got a mortgage with you.
1: He did. yes, sir yeah. Uh,
2: so that's cool. And he's very happy with it. So, uh, but Ben's had a change and he was, that's to his credit. He don't get the credit he deserves. Uh, but Steve assumed, uh, came out of nowhere and assumed eventually the spot. So I, I just, uh, so much change going on in our personal lives and the company's growth. Guys were making more money, Conrad, than they ever dreamed they'd make. They didn't know what to do with it. Some guys make good investments like real estate or something or buying properties. And some of them bought more Rolexes and more $5,000 suits. So that's your call. It's their money, but no, a lot of the guys at, in that era in the attitude era Had no clue that that kind of money was available to them. I remember one year; it might have been a little bit after this, but the number was like twenty-one or twenty-two millionaires on the roster. Wow! That made over a million dollars in that era back way back then. And you think some of those dudes are prepared for that? I mean, they didn't know what to do with it. Well, I always say, well, one thing I'd sure do is have me an accountant. A certified public accountant, not, not uncle Charlie down the street. He's got a computer and the other thing most importantly for us, pay your fucking quarterlies because uncle Sam don't do no jobs in the story.
1: So we know that, uh, the observer is going to speculate that Ted DiBiase is going to get a renewed push as a manager Meltzer would say the return of the million dollar belt will be going to a newcomer. And he has an interesting quote. When people used to say that Austin was going to be the next Flair, I always disagreed and thought he was more likely to be the next Ted DiBiase. Well, he exceeded both of those. Um, (laughs) and we know that ultimately he's going to become one of the best promos in the business. And maybe you had an inclination of that if you watched him in ECW, but when he comes in and he's paired with Ted DiBiase as the mouthpiece who thought, I mean, clearly Vince thought he needed that, but. Is this more of a case of we got to find something for Ted and we're not sure what we can do with this marketable black boots, black trucks, the same narrative that Eric Bischoff had pushed, plain yeah. black this, plain black that. Is yeah. this, hey, man, we got to jazz him up a little bit. Is that the thinking? I think it was a, the two, we were hoping
2: that, you know, two talented guys merged together would create magic. Uh, you know, Ted DiBiase has got a great mind for the business. He's uh, loaded with integrity and character. Uh, he had made the, the turn. Now he's coming back in the game with a chance to pick up some real nice paydays. Uh, so I think we all pull for both guys. Uh, and hopefully that their team would, uh, jail. Steve always respected the hell out of DiBiase. would will probably tell you today that <coughs> Ted's one of his favorite, uh, talents of all time and cause, uh, Steve grew up watching Mid-South wrestling out of the station there in South Texas. And so he was a Mid-South guy. Now he watched Houston wrestling. Everybody watched Houston wrestling done that part of the world, but he was a, and, and Mid-South was a big part of Houston wrestling for a good while. So he was a mark for DVOC, like a lot of us were, and I was there learning my craft, same as everybody else in the, in that era at the guidance of bill Watts. So Steve always was a, he, that when he and I were going to trip and we would just shoot the shit Conrad, it, a lot of that was just talking about mid South, even though we're both in WWE. So, uh, he, he was, he was a big fan of that, but he was have he was not having any fun. He got a little taste of the success and the accolades and the promo time and the bookings and the TV exposure, but he. He wasn't having any fun. And so that was a smart move by Vince. You, you got you to move Teddy somewhere else and let Austin go on his own. And that's why we were having those conversations about him being a baby face that he cussed me out about. Uh,
1: as if uh, being paired with Deviasi wasn't enough, we're also going to bring back the Brother Love Show. On Monday night, raw January 8th, 1996. No, this is not 1990 it's 1996. And this is the debut of Steve Austin as the ringmaster. Do you remember meeting with uh, Austin? I mean, did he come into the office? Do you have a sit down with him before he comes out here and makes this debut on TV?
2: Well, yeah, we talked all the time, but probably about every day, but Vince handled that Vince had a vision. He he had confidence that that is, his is pa- the packaging of the ringmaster and Deviassi were going to be successful. Nobody could tell that story better than Vince, and, and and Steve was smart enough to know too. No matter who all was in a meeting room, it didn't matter. And I say that respectfully today, in WWE, as best I know, I'm not there. I got lots of friends that are. uh, you know, Vince is the one that need to sell that deal. I don't think Steve ever liked it, but he's willing to give it a try because Vincent give that global line. Hey, I've been right born. I've been wrong on these big deals. Yeah. you know, give me a chance. What do you do? i give him a chance. And Steve did the smart thing to do, but he never got over the hump of being happy about the presentation. And then of course, all we did was keep concealed. One of the best talkers. In the whole wrestling business and many think Steve's one of the best promos they ever lived and he wasn't talking. So you, things like that, you go back and look at when you have time to evaluate, you look at the whole thing, look at the big picture. You see that, uh, there, there's a better way. And Bill Watts told me this a long time ago, has backed it up. There's more than one right way to get something right. There's more than one way to, to skin the cat as you, the old saying goes or whatever the cliche I can pull out of my ass, uh, that's kind of how I see that Steve, just, he, he, he knew what he wanted. He was still chasing that feeling that he fought so hard to earn and, 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 and to gain, he was still in, he's still in on his journey and the journey wasn't sweet and easy.
1: I want to mention, uh, Austin cuts us this promo on the brother love show. And he says his goals are entering the Royal rumble going on to WrestleMania. And one week later, we see his in ring debut happen against Matt Hardy. Who's here working as an enhancement talent. So there's a little trivia fact for you. Austin's first televised match here with the WWF is against Matt Hardy. Of course, Austin gets his hand raised. This is, this is his debut. Uh, but it happens with the sleeper hold the million dollar dream. Of course we know eventually it's going to become the stone cold stunner and you know, the hottest move in wrestling and we're off to the races. But man, this just feels like we're just sliding him into a, a 10 year old gimmick here. Does it not
2: a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. I didn't look at it that way. Uh, that hole has been around forever. And when he first started using that million dollar dream, yeah, the variation of it was, uh, they, I heard it called the shin I've heard it called, uh, well, how much different is the million dollar dream from the. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter's,
1: uh, over clutch, over clutch. So a lot of
2: things are retreaded. It's all a matter of time and execution. And, uh, but I never looked at the way you, you are. It's an interesting point. I'm not arguing with you.
1: Well, I just mean in terms of the million dollar man is here, it feels like he's straight out of 88 and now we've got the million dollar championship title again, straight out of 88. And now we've got a sleeper finish at a time where, well, you know, Shawn Michaels is tuning up the band and The Undertaker's giving people choke slams and tombstones. And let's take a look at the Babyface roster at the time, by the way, because Steve is a heel here. So he's potentially going to have opportunities to wrestle Jake the Snake Roberts, Ahmed Johnson, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, The Undertaker. I mean, that's a pretty uh, strong outfit of opponents there. Uh, do you remember anybody in particular saying, man, I want to work with that guy? Everybody. Yeah,
2: everybody wanted to work with Steve because they knew they would be in a, an environment that would be stiff, but safe that a good story would be told and that we'd have to hustle. It's going to be a, he's going to, he has, Austin's got a pace. And so I think, I don't know anybody that didn't want to work with Steve. The,
1: uh, the most interesting start for a lot of these guys. Uh, is, is, is my favorite part of a story you talk about when Jericho gets started and it feels like he's got a lot of stops and starts and is he going to make it and it kind of feels that way with Austin, you know, being paired with DBI, the million dollar champion on the brother love show. And then he finally gets to the Royal rumble, his first big pay-per-view. And as the legend goes, he was scheduled to be one of the final four, which is obviously a vote of confidence from the company. Uh, but before the, then Fatu who Steve says he has a a ton of baby oil on him clothesline Steve. And what do you know, Steve (laughs) accidentally tumbles over the top rope. He can't hang on. So he is unfortunately eliminated early. And that means the whole finish of the match has to change. Right. And this is your first big show. Hey man, we're going to give you the big push and uh oh, quote unquote. He screwed it up. Now (laughs) snake bit the rattlesnake was snake bit here.
2: Yeah, he was, he was, and. And, and he was not to be, uh, uh, you know, soothed He's, he thought he'd he blown the whole thing and he had to process that information. And so my deal to him was always, okay, here's the thing. Those back here know that there was a screw up. The audience doesn't know that. And and then secondly, uh, you, you gotta be kidding me to think that this is it. Yeah, you're getting over. And that's where we had that baby face talk, which again, I got cursed at. I got cursed more by him than I did my old man. And that was every day. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, he, 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 he had to overcome. That was a huge turning point point and his maturity level. You could tell had advanced and had matured, uh, in a good way because he came out of it. And he kept fighting because he knew he was on to something. And he also knew that he had apparently gained Vince's trust and that's big
1: money. So Austin is not on the, in your house show after uh, the Royal rumble, which of course happened in February, that in your house show, but he is on raw the next night and on that, uh, very seemingly random episode of raw Vince McMahon would refer to Steve Austin as having a. Stone Cold Personality, uh, which I guess is the first time we heard that phrase associated with Austin. Uh, and thankfully, on March 2nd, they're going to go ahead and drop the Ringmaster moniker and we never hear from it again, uh, which is probably a blessing. Yep, but as the was. story goes, there were other names considered silly yeah. shit <laughs> like Chili McFreeze. I can't imagine this Steve Austin character has a Chili McFreeze personality. My God, that comes
2: out of a marketing meeting, or it comes out of a room filled with people that most of them don't have product knowledge, and they're not fans, and they're they're tongue in cheeking it. That shows you their lack of respect in general for the business. And uh, Chili McFreeze, are you shitting me? <laughs> that's what you guys got today. See, that's how I that's how I managed, and I wasn't so popular in some of those meetings. Because I'd walk in and say, We're having a meeting to so you can present this shit. You got to be kidding me, fellas, ladies, gentlemen, whatever. So, but it was horrible. It was horrible. I can just feel it's like having a number one draft pick. You draft Trevor Lawrence for the Jags and you move him to split in. What? What the hell are you doing? Yeah. So, so uh, it's like thinking Alabama's not going to. Win the national title, I told you several weeks ago,
1: <laughs> they're still my favorite to win the title. That's looking like they are the favorite right now.
2: Yeah. The quarterback got hot to the right time. It's like March madness that the secret to betting on these games is which team had the momentum before they stopped and started practicing for the bowl and, uh, who's got the best quarterback
1: and you guys got the best quarterback checking all the boxes. And so was Steve yeah. here in early March. He's on a Texas loop working. Another fellow Texan Shawn Michaels. Now, remember this is early March. So this is before the boyhood dream has come true, but we know just a month later, uh, Shawn Michaels is going to be the world champ. And that's gotta be a good sign because if, if he likes working with you, maybe you've got some upward mobility, especially since diesel and razor have both given notice, all the dominoes are falling in place, but again, you gotta wonder if diesel and razor hadn't left. What if Scott Hall and Kevin Nash stuck around? The NWO was not born. Would Austin have had the same opportunity to bubble up to the surface.
2: Absolutely. And I'll tell you why Conrad, that DTA is not just a marketing slogan. Don't trust anybody as much as he, he, I know he's very close to Kevin Nash. Uh, as I am, I got a nice text the other day from Kevin you know he lives a he said, I can't believe we aren't, we aren't seeing each other because you live in, in uh, Jack's beach and I live in Daytona beach. It's probably our change drive, but that's the wrestling business for you. And someday we'll all regret it because we'll say, damn, I, I didn't go see that guy, uh, but in, in any event, Austin was not gonna let anybody, a spouse, a family member, anybody screw up this fucking trip. So whether it be Hall or Nash or the almighty NWO or wherever the fuck he could give a shit less. It's like, uh, it's a team game Conrad, but it's got strong, uh, individual personality traits. So hall and Nash would have meant nothing to Steve's push or him getting over. The audience was getting Steve Austin over, but it, I'll agree with you. Sean had a Vince's ear. Yeah. And so consequently, uh that's a good thing for Austin. Sean knew that he'd get to a match with Steve and not get beat all to hell. It he would not like working with Vader, for example. Uh and all due respect to Leon, God bless him. So uh no, I I I Austin, getting to work with Sean, Sean didn't realize then he could he he could touch it, feel it, everything. He knew exactly what he was getting into. And he liked what he felt
0: with Austin.
1: It's a bit of an odd scenario. Steve Austin's going to be inserted into the WWF tag team title tournament. He'll be teaming with Savio Vega once razor is suspended. Ultimately they lose to the body Donna's after Austin turns on Savio. And now he has a WrestleMania opponent. And these are two really talented workers. I know Savio Vega might not be a a huge fan favorite these days, but you go back and you watch their matches together. Uh, man they just tore it down and and Austin no. cannot give enough credit to savio Vega and hindsight with helping him really elevate his game here in the world wrestling Federation and show what he could do he needed the right dance partner and savio was that guy right you, you no know, doubt that's why I booked to
2: Savio and Steve a lot in those days of house shows they both enjoyed working with each other they looked at it as a a, a night off to the extent that but every night they work, they want the match to be a little different. The one thing that kills me is seeing guys have the same matches on TV. They had an house show run. That's lazy ass. It's pitiful. Tell me why you did that because you didn't want to invest more of your body and your soul and your, and your feelings into your character into the match. So you're, you're basically memorizing your match while on off-Broadway. Then we get to TV or pay-per-view you've already had it and I'm guilty of booking that I did the same thing. And sometimes you did it cause you want to make sure to help calm the talent down a little bit, touch each other, do your thing, have a match, but we're not going to have the same exact match on, on, on the pay-per-view. change it up a little bit. So, uh, but that's where that came from. You know, we, we did that a lot, but we had a lot of transitional talent. And we need, we need to know how they're going to fare uh, in that environment, in that ring at this event with that talent. So, but Steve and Savio got along really well and they beat the shit out of each other, I'll say this, that they are, they were as physical as hell. And that got the other guy's attention a little bit. It wasn't a, you know, slapping your arms and slapping your face, slapping your hip and making noise. Uh, I've never hit a, heard a leather foot. It's somebody's face and it popped. It's impossible. Conrad, it don't happen. Now you can go out there in your backyard and try it all you want. I promise you, you can have the Casio kid kick you in the face all you want. And it ain't going to make no noise. It's going to make a little thud or something like that. It's not going to pop. Let the guy slapping her side or whatever.
1: Uh, so Austin finally has this big WrestleMania moment. And you got to remember, this is a guy who just a handful of months prior to this was fired by FedEx, uh, from, uh, WCW and a guy he was fired via, he was fired via FedEx, but he didn't work for FedEx. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. And, 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 you know, this is a guy with real, uh, honestly, humble beginnings, you know, starts in the, the dying world-class promotion winds up living on uh, raw potatoes in Memphis. Ultimately gets fired from WCW and now he's getting a win at WrestleMania. This is a big deal. Uh it took yeah. 10 minutes and 8 seconds before Austin got the win. Meltzer would say both guys worked hard but there was no heat and the finish died live. The work itself was good in spots and slightly off in other spots. The physicality was there but the audience was not yet in love with either one of these characters. So as a result, Meltzer gave it 2 stars but still getting a win at WrestleMania, it's not a bad day.
2: No, oh, it's a good day. He made his it's his first stop in the journey. And and we're not keeping track of one loss records. We're keeping track of uh pay stubs. And I guarantee you got to, you he got to probably the biggest payday he ever got in his life was at that WrestleMania. Even though he was in a prelim level match.
1: Yeah. I'm sure he still made
2: more money that night that uh
1: than any other one match ever, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But Austin You
2: know, I got a, I got it back in Oklahoma, I've got uh when I cleaned my office out in, in uh, Stanford, uh, I, I, I got, I'm, I'm a rat. I'm a collector hoarder, but I was going through some shit there the other day. Last time I was home and I found all the pay sheets Oh, for like, I don't know, many years, uh, that I didn't know him had, they've been still in the same stack same rubber band around them, same vanilla, vanilla envelope or whatever folder. And it's pretty cool to go back and look at some of those things and see what, what I paid, guys and,
1: uh, talk about a collector's item. That's cool to have. Good for you. Yeah.
2: Well, we'll see. I'm coming in. i am I'm i I'm am I think my collecting days are probably on Yeah. Draw near. Yeah.
1: I, I, I want to mention, uh, even though Steve gets the win and don't get me wrong, that's worth celebrating. And as you said, probably the biggest single payday he ever got for a single match, mm. it still feels like Vince has his training wheels on Austin a little bit. We've dropped the ringmaster, but we've still got DBIC. We're still using the million dollar dream. Uh, but it won't be long before those training wheels are off. And speaking of yeah. off, there's a big trade essentially. Now it's not, it's not like it's a you know football league or baseball league and these teams are really trading, but just humor me for a minute. One, two, three kid razor diesel. They're going to WCW and then comes Steve Austin, Mark Mero, and Mick Foley. And I don't know about you. Seems like a pretty damn good trade on both sides. And I might even give the advantage to the WWF on that deal.
2: Uh, and you could and make a good argument for it. All those guys are very talented. They went where they needed to go at the time. Yes, they did. And, uh, that's all good. So, uh, Marrow was, uh, a sable hire. You know, that, uh, Mark, uh, Mark is as, uh, as wonderful a person as this, this walk, this earth as in a, in a, with a wrestling background or image as anybody. I, I know great guy, great motivational speaker lives a clean life. He's a good man. And if you ever get a chance to hear him talk at one of his, uh, things he does, uh, probably be worth your time. You'll get something out of it. Oh, for sure. And, uh, but then how do you, I thought Foley was a pretty good hire.
1: Yeah. Worked out, huh? <laughs>
2: I thought he did pretty well. Uh, and, and of course then Steve goes crazy, but so, yeah, it is. I think, that, I think you can say it was a win-win for both sides. But based on the lay of the land at that time and the evolution of the said talents from both groups, I would give, uh, uh, it's hard to knock that WCW hiring, uh, oh. th- say there, I mean, I don't say it say their ass, but it might've saved their ass.
1: It was huge, but, but again, it wasn't bigger than Austin three sixteen. but we're not there yet and outside of mania 12, we would see Austin lose to the Caribbean kid on superstars. This is going to be Austin's first television loss. And you might be wondering who the hell's the Caribbean kid. I don't remember a, a guy under a mask called that it's Savio Vega. Nice little way to keep the feud going. But of course, as was uh, tradition back then, right after WrestleMania, we're going to do the big European tour and man, this is where the rubber meets the road, check this out. The first night in Germany, he's going to put over Bret Hart. It's his first time these guys have ever worked. And then he's going to go 27 minutes with Shawn Michaels in Germany. In the main event, by the way, because Sean's now the champ. Ahmed Johnson is uh, gonna go ahead and beat him uh, in Bond, and then he'll lose to Brett again in Frankfurt. But still, those are the top three baby faces in the whole deal. And he's getting twenty-seven minutes with Sean, multiple matches with Brett, and he's wrestling Ahmed Johnson. Clearly, uh it's about to be his time to shine.
2: Absolutely. Uh she, Somebody's knocking on the door. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it, Steve never had an issue about, and you know, people are going to say, well, what about that Brock Lesnar thing in Atlanta? Well, he didn't have a problem put over it. Brock Lesnar or Yukon red or me. uh, Billy and Benny McGuire podcasting. <laughs> I can say that because it's a pot called the kettle Black. Uh, but I have lost some weight during this cancer thing. Oh, good for you. I, I have one, ab, one AB that's a big one. No, no six pack, but I got that court size. Bump.
1: There, there uh, you go. <laughs> uh,
2: but he, he had no, he never, Steve never had an issue putting people over. If it was the right thing for business. And so, uh, and, and he has such good judgment about how to book his character and how to win and how to lose, uh, that, you know, it's never become a real big issue. So him, the, the, the brilliance of this deal was a 27 minute or with Shawn Michaels. Yeah. I'm sure when it was booked, we didn't plan on them going 27 minutes, probably 20, 15, just okay. how hungover they were, how tired they might be, how sore, whatever. But I'm sure Sean called that in the rain and, and extended the match, uh, because he was having fun. Isn't it amazing? Some kids never grow up. It's still about having some fucking fun in today's world, especially in wrestling, because it's you think about it, as somebody smart enough to step back and figure out things, you know, uh, like budgets and and, and TV contracts and and all these things, uh, then, you know, they're, they, they got a lot on their weight on their shoulders. Cause I look at the business right now as probably one of the more exciting times. I don't think I've ever been in an overall pro wrestling cocoon that's as unpredictable and fun for me as business is now. Cause it's fun to see these indies have houses. It's fun to see the wrestling fans supporting all kinds of wrestling. And I think that's just uh way past due. I'm glad we're, we're there, but Steve, Steve would can't would come back from that tour. Very happy. And it wasn't because he got a good payday. He did get a good payday. We had, we made money on
1: that tour. A lot of money. He's happy because he got to work against the world champion on a tour, which is something that wasn't even fathomable in WCW.
2: Yeah. And he also knew that. To get that, to get that match with Sean, he, Steve needed the match had to be quasi blessed with Sean. In other words, we did not have to get Sean's permission to book him with Steve. That never happened, but we always wanted, you always want to measure and test the water, stick your toe in Yeah, on, on some of these things. And so, uh, but, but, but 27 minutes, that's all Sean. And that was a big statement to the old man. They went 27 minutes because I, I, I I almost remember that goddamn agent report. I think Jack lands was on there. God bless him. He passed away here lately. Best agent we ever had. Uh, what a guy Black Jack. Uh, he was a big, big asset to me. I could tell you, I talked to Jack lands. My wife, Jan said one time, I think he talked to Jack lands when he talked to me. I said, well, honey, we got old thing going. I like the mustache. <laughs> so, uh, but Lanza was effusive, but Lanza was a Mark Frost. Lanza, knew Atlanta could see. It only happens maybe once or twice in your career. You run across somebody that's gold. Jack had it with Hogan in AWA in early days of WWE, WWF. Uh, but you know, we, some of us like Patterson. Patterson was always fighting for rock. That was his guy and God, God I don't nothing, nothing wrong with that. We knew he was going to be a, he was can't miss. So what was the problem? Was the problem going to be, you got two top guys. Oh, how are you going to juggle that? Well, we'll figure it out. Let's travel that road and get to that next bridge and across it. It's not a bad problem to have considering a headline. In three single matches, three WrestleManias, and it sold every time. There was money made in those WrestleManias that rocked 15, 17 and 19. Cause I was blessed enough to be able to call them all and a lucky, lucky man. I was so, uh, I remember that time Austin became a star of that tour as far as office perception.
1: Yeah. Hey, we get a chance to do it again. He's not on the next pay-per-view, which is in your house. Good friends, better enemies, but. Remember in your house in that era is just a two hour show, but the next night on raw, he would defeat Scott Taylor. Who's going to go on to become Scotty Too hottie. And we would see Savio Vega challenge Austin to a Caribbean strap match. Austin begs off, but you know, that means it's definitely coming. (coughs) And before we get to uh, the next in your house, beware of dog, which is a pretty crazy story in and of itself. The WWF runs a bunch of sold shows in Kuwait and who does Austin work? Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels.
2: Well, I learned a little bit on that first tour. You're going to go to Kuwait. You're going to be shut in. Remember those, those was, was a TV preachers back in the day. Oh yeah. I want to pray for the sick and shut-ins. Well, the talents are like sick and shut-ins in some of those countries. As far as finding booze and recreation. And, uh, but I knew those guys were selling the tickets. And I also knew that they all had great respect for each other's work. So those bookings were easy. Even I could do it.
1: So I I want to mention the next, um, in your house is, is the pretty famous beware of dog one, where we lose power, but that's not what's important. The stipulation here is that if Savio loses, he'll become an errand boy for Steve and DiBiase, and of course we know that they had to re reshoot the dog on thing. So when it winds up happening the second time in between the first in your house and, and sort of the do over, if you will, DiBiase puts his notice in. And as you said, I'm sure Austin absolutely adores DiBiase as a performer yeah. and a worker, but man, if he's really going to get to spread his wings, the last training wheel that needs to leave is DiBiase, And it happens when Ted signs with WCW. Right. All right. Yeah. Uh, I
2: think some people might think it's a perception that Steve, uh, kicks Teddy out of a job. You know, Steve didn't make any moves on that. Vince knew he wasn't happy with it. But it wasn't an ongoing every day, every minute bitch session. So uh Teddy Leaving was he got, he had a chance to make, you know, w, w, wCW it was getting hot. And they had big plans. And he fit right into that mold of those eighties guys. You know, cause he was a huge star in that era and you couldn't get a better guy in the locker room. So, uh, yeah, that was how that worked out. It's just, but it gave him the, the spreading. The wings is a good analogy. Uh, he'd been waiting for this moment to be okay. Now you can be your guy. All, all those years we've talked about what you wanted to do and how you wanted to do it, how you want to be perceived, booked, marketed. Now it's, it's here. So let's go do it. And he was up for the challenge, obviously.
1: Just so you know, the, uh, the timeline, uh, April 15th is when Brian Pillman would have his Humvee accident. We yeah. know he's a former tag team partner and really good friend of Steve Austin's. We also know he's going to wind up landing here in the WWF. Uh, we'll get to that here in a little bit, but first we should mention the infamous curtain call show at Madison square garden. Meltzer had this to say at MSG, Steve Austin, pinned Jake Roberts, in about three minutes after the match, Austin told Roberts, he was washed up and challenged him to another match. So Austin pinned him again, I guess they're going to use Robert's name value to give the younger guys some credibility, which you have to give Robert's credit for as a team player since his days as a headliner are over. How professional was Jake here? Was he looking to transition to a behind the scenes gig anyway, at this point? I think you're looking to
2: transition to any gig. Yeah. You know, it's either that or be relegated to working some, uh, higher level Indies Yeah, and, you know, hopefully you get paid, you're not working with somebody that's crazy and, and getting involved in some structure because Jake needed some structure. Uh, but yeah, he's a, he's a, uh, um, uh, the, my, I'm losing my thought. The, the, uh. Jake thing was that job or any job, because you saw the handwriting on the wall, Conrad. Jake did uh, the big money days on top are over. Yeah. So what do you do to replace some of the income? You can't replace it all because the next job you get won't have the same paying position that you did, did as a main event guy and a WrestleMania guy and all those good things.
1: I just want to add context to this. A year prior to this, he's doing tours on house shows, losing the Jim Duggan. Sometimes in seconds, a year later, he's doing European tours, working with the world champion and Bret Hart, and then he's beating Jake, the snake Roberts twice in the same night in Madison square garden. Things are looking up for Mr. Austin. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He's uh, again, it's all a matter of uh,
1: acquiring the trust from the head man. The whole uh, situation with the curtain call, of course, changed the WWF and Steve Austin's career forever. It's not just a story about Hunter Hearst Helmsley getting pushed down the cards. And as the old Vince saying goes, uh, "Learning to eat shit and like the taste of it." It yeah. is the story of almost like in professional athletics, like football. When when the, the the starting quarterback goes down, that's bad for the team, sure, but it represents a great opportunity for someone else to step up. And that person is going to be Steve Austin. Um and without it, you know, I mean, as the legend goes, the king of the ring was supposed to be Hunter Hearst Helmsley. If Austin doesn't get that moment at the mic and that final match with Jake and drop that Austin 316, this could all look a whole lot different, couldn't
2: it? Well, it would have looked different. It could have. It would have. It would have looked different. Everything ended up happening for a reason. And it it was so unpredictable because Nobody would have thought if you follow Austin's journey and he you know, found him breaking down the forbidden door as the, the beloved Tony Khan would say, uh, he became a, he, he, he saw his chance and he saw that he wasn't going to miss it. He wasn't going to drop the ball. And that's why there were so many issues where I he'd need to be, he, he would, I would need to speak with him because a, I would listen good. And I, and he trusted me and we got through all that stuff and it wasn't easy. You're not dealing with a regular guy here, Conrad. That's the thing about extraordinary athletes and extraordinary performers. And Austin had all that rolled into one. He, he had a gift wrapped. He's, he's already, he'd already done the gift wrapping. Here's the holidays. Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. Uh, but golly, man, he's, uh, he, he battled. He battled, and I know a little something about battling right now. You just got to keep doing it. I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to walk in that living room and, and elevate my foot and ankle on, the, on my couch. And in a little while, all all the pain subside. It ain't going to work that way, JR. Your tougher days are ahead of you. Man up Be your, your father's son or be a puss and lay down and complain. I might complain, but I ain't going to lay down. So, and Steve never laid down. He fought and fought until his, his, uh, agenda
1: was addressed. So as you know, the, uh, the strap match was outstanding. Uh, you you can't go without telling this story without putting over this match in particular, in my opinion, it's beware of dog. They get a ton of time. Remember it's only a two hour show and they get over 21 minutes here. Uh, and ultimately Austin's on the losing end. Vega gets the win, but it's a four-star match out of Savio Vega and Steve Austin, the first match on the show, this is another feather in the cap for Steve Austin, no matter where you put me, no matter the circumstances, no matter the gimmicks, uh, I'm going to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: it's his game. That's how he looked at it and again, Austin doing the honors. Didn't, he didn't give a shit. No problem. I want to have a great match and, and based on Meltzer's evaluation
1: that's what we're using four stars is a great match. So let me ask King of the ring in hindsight, if you had to guess, do you think the plan was always, I mean, once we know it's not Hunter, was it always Austin as the next most viable choice was the discussion of it being Ahmed Johnson or Vader or someone like that. Or was it just automatic since he'd been working with Brett and Sean, Oh, it's gotta be Steve.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I'd say 90% it's gotta be Steve. There was some discussion about Ahmed. Uh, but I think the general consensus was that he wasn't quite ready. Emotionally socially, uh, how was he going to fit in? Uh, and it wasn't And also The decision to go with Steve was immensely more popular than going with uh, Ahmed, but from the talent.
1: From yeah. What they told me no doubt about so, it.
2: Uh, so there wasn't any really strong, uh, uh, challenges after triple H got on the shit list, uh, Austin was the logical choice. He may have been the logical choice all along, quite frankly.
1: So Austin gets put into the King of the ring tournament. He beats Bob Holly in the first round. He beats Savio Vega in the second round. And he debuts the Stone Cold Stunner at a television tapings for uh, superstars. Happens on June 8th. And the, the future Joey Abs of the Main Street Posse is going to be the first recipient of the Stone Cold Stunner. And as the legend goes, it was Michael Hayes who suggested the move. So now we've seen a total 180 degree switch of this character in just, just inside of six months. We go from the ringmaster to Stone Cold. We go from you know, having a second with Ted DiBiase to now it is this DTA. He's his own man, loner character. We go from the million dollar dream to the Stone Cold Stunner. What a transition! And there was a lot of things that were out of his control that just sort of happened. He could have never campaigned. I guess he could have, but DiBiase took a better deal and left. Right. The whole curtain call thing happened. This is a story of just walking through open doors. Answering when opportunity knocked, right?
2: Yep, yeah It's game day. When it's game day, you go play, and that was him all all along. It was he was a game day guy. Uh, You know, when when he was on the road, house shows, he wanted to be on all the house shows. He wanted to go on last, and if he didn't get, if I booked him earlier, to get him out of the building earlier, he got angry. I got another cussing. I got cussed a lot, like Conrad. <laughs> So, uh, but Steve was, uh, you know, he, he just kept fighting. That was what other people had to understand about him. He's relentless. He's not going to give up. We're going to have to give him his notice to get rid of him or roll with it. and See where it takes us. I'm all in favor of rolling with it. The audience is telling us he's selling merchandise. He's getting pops. He's supposed to be a heel, big pops, significant pops. So then, to me, it becomes a matter of a it's a no brainer at that point.
1: So, King of the Ring '96 we've covered before. Everybody knows the story. Uh, he has the match with Mark Mero, gets accidentally kicked in the mouth. He's cut. He still got the scar to this day, but that's not going to deter him from beating Jake the Snake in the main event, standing next to Michael Hayes and cutting that super famous promo where Austin three sixteen becomes the thing. Uh, Austin would say, "I do have to say." But even after I did my 316 promo at King of the Ring and introduced my new catchphrases, Vince still didn't listen to all of my ideas. <laughs> I don't think he had ever pushed anybody like me before. I'm not saying I was the best, I was just a different breed of cat. I was trying That's to be true. a heel, but I was accepted universally as a babyface. This was new ground for me, too. I was just kind of working my way through it, but it was all new to me. So even Austin is admitting that not much is changing from his character. So even though he is wrestling like a heel and cutting promos, like a heel, he's being cheered almost like an anti-hero. And I guess you could argue that maybe Jake, the snake was the first version of that, but there was never a better version of it than Steve Austin. Uh, how, how hard, or was it a challenge for events to warm up to that idea? Because it does feel like for so long wrestling was very paint by numbers. You're a good guy. You're a bad guy. And now we're starting to see more shades of gray. Yeah,
2: it was, it was the right place, the right time. And, and we had obviously the right guy for the job. He was a different baby face than we'd ever booked on that level. Uh, even though, as you mentioned, Jake the snake was a, uh, character baby face, uh, at one point in time and a real good one, but it's not fair to compare Jake's character, baby face run with Austin's. Oh no, of uh, not. you're not. I know that you're not, but it's a different ball game. So, uh. But that's you know, Steve was just again fate, man. He had been through so much, you know, triceps and knees and politics, you know, a home life issues. All those things kept, you know, flying. Boom! Here, here's another one. Here's another thing you got to take care of. Here's another thing you got to do. But he never lost the vision of where he wanted to go. He had that vision. He had the directions. He he had set the, the GPS, he was, we we're going exactly the way we we're supposed to go. That's what his business was always to be. If you follow, if we can do this, I think we can really get over and make this thing special. And then we knew, you know, the, you get great market research in a variety of forms in pro wrestling. Oh yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people are married to the quarter hours and quarter hour rankings, ratings, all those things. And people say, well, I don't understand what the big deal is with this 18 to 49 demo well, it's what the network sells ads on they, their ad rates based on ratings in 18 to 49, it's pretty simple. You just do the math. So uh, ad, ad agencies sometimes will look at numbers more than they will look at programming and, uh, and the numbers were sticking for themselves by and large till that faithful 83 weeks. So famous he even has a podcast named after it,
1: it worked out. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the next night on uh, raw Austin is going to be working with the undertaker, he's going to lose by DQ because gold dust interferes. And then Austin's going to take a break for just a bit. He's got to have some plastic surgery done that kick from Mark Merrow really did some damage. Uh, but then he's back at it, man. And, uh, he's trying to get this character over. And he had this to say in his book, I remember running down Aldo Montoya on one of our TV shows, he had that yellow mask on his face and I called it a jockstrap. I just cut him and cut him and cut him. And then later on, when I watched the show, I noticed that some of these good things I'd said, didn't make air. I was like, man, what the hell? We were in a real snowy town in the Northeast at a building in Lowell, Massachusetts, and I called Vince aside and I said, Vince, can I talk to you? And he said, yeah. And I said, man, what's going on? It seems like every time I say something, y'all take it back to the shop and chop all my stuff out. And Vince said, Well, Steve, your stuff is making the people laugh back in the studio. We're concerned because as a heel, we want the fans to not like you. And I said, Well, Vince, let me tell you something. I'm 6'2, 250 pounds. I got a bald head and a goatee. I got black trunks and black boots and a big mouth. And man, if you take my personality away from me, I can't compete with anybody here. You got guys here, six ten, seven feet, three hundred pounds, whatever. If you give me my personality, I can compete with anybody. I guarantee it. Vince listened to me and said, "Okay." And then he walked off, and we left it at that. But Vince had gotten the message. He started letting me just go. He stopped editing a lot of my lines out of the show. Vince was beginning to feel and understand the stone cold character, which was essential in the development of my in ring persona. Now, this story, in and of itself, is easy to just hear and move on and say, "Well, okay." But if there are people who are in the wrestling business, I don't think the importance of this conversation can be emphasized enough. Do you, Jim?
2: Well, I don't think talents do what Steve did uh, uh, frequently. They could have the balls approach Vince and say, "Can we talk for a second? Yeah. When, when the truth be known, he loves those discussions. He loves that aspect of his, his, uh, life as a, the owner of the company. Uh, and he, he likes to, he's, 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 always thinking and, but I think he was just really, uh, thinking of ways to make the company better. finish my thought. But, uh, I think a lot of talents don't do it because they are intimidated or they don't know how to communicate. Right, We've said this so much in the show and I hope. Some folks will accept what I'm trying to say as being something important in your real life, not your wrestling fan life. Uh, you know, you, you just got to be able to communicate, man, communication. Is so it's the, it's the essence of living to a large degree. You got to be able to communicate with others and, and learn how to listen and learn how to communi- uh, learn how to present yourself. But a lot of guys didn't have the confidence that Steve had in himself. Or what he perceived to be the autonomy to approach Vince in a very serious manner to talk about these issues. Those were huge issues. You got a guy. You got a guy cutting promos that's uh, that's getting pops all over the place because they're over. They're funny. They're entertaining. They're timely. And but we're then we, we want to be a heel. Uh, well, I, if if it was had not been proven already by the audience and by the merchandise that was selling the tickets that were selling the pops in the arena, all this great market research that you have access to, uh, you know, Steve, just, he wasn't going to be a, he wasn't going to be a heel he, people, people live or, uh, you know, uh, what's that word? Uh, you know, vicariously, where you live vicariously. vicariously. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's why you're the brains of this outfit <laughs> Vicariously, And, but, but he was just, uh. He was perfect for that role—the take this job and shove it mentality. And little did we know at that time that uh, Mr. McMahon would become the top heel in the territory, and Steve would become the top babyface.
1: Well, this is a real paradigm shift. You know, I mean, we're not too far removed from—you know—we've got a, a garbage man gimmick and we've got a plumber gimmick, and now we've got a good bad guy. I mean, it's or a bad good guy, whatever. The idea is Austin 316 is about to take over the world. And this is the WWF edge that they're looking for because the NWO on the other channel is just blowing up. I mean, their business is hotter than ever uh, through late summer. When Ho- when Hulk Hogan turns in July, uh, they're on fire, and that's around the same time. Remember now, Hogan turns heel in July. Austin 316 was born in June. So we're running parallel here. And uh it's got to be an exciting time in the business in that era. I mean, and and even the similarities with the merch, right? The NWO shirts, the biggest selling shirt in WCW history. Austin three sixteen is going to go on to be one of the biggest in WWF history. Plain black shirts, plain white lettering. It's no longer the the bright neon colors of yeah. the eighties. It, it's a different like, era. Like
2: NXT, like NXT is now. Yeah. Neon colors. I guess those colors have been tested with teenagers, and this is the colors they like. I don't know. Uh, I'm being catty. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was a hell of a time. You think about it, Conrad to be a wrestling fan it's as it same as it is today. Cause there's so much to pick from. There's so much to sample and to enjoy if you choose to on virtually any night of the well, any night of the week, cause you can string things. So it's, uh, yeah, Austin, he, he was creating a mold for a character, baby face that no one has yet to follow. When someone understands how to do that with their personality and, uh, their presentation, they're going to go to the bank very often because there's where your money lies.
1: I want to mention, uh, Austin and Mero work again at the international incident show, which is another in your house. It's a return match from King of the ring and Austin gets the win, but it almost feels like this crowd isn't really sure how to react. Austin's a heel, but they want to cheer him. But he's not really giving them a reason to cheer. It's almost like he's in a tweener phase, and that would continue through SummerSlam. No, he's not actually on SummerSlam. He's on the free for all, but it's against Yokozuna. And Meltzer is reporting in The Observer that Bret Hart, if he comes back to the WWF, he's handpicked Austin as his first opponent. So maybe they're just trying to keep Steve in the mix, but what that entails is. Yoko Zuna goes up to the top rope, but because he's too heavy, the top rope breaks. Austin steals the win in just under two minutes. Not exactly, maybe the uh, the type of win Austin would be looking for, but a pretty <laughs> yeah, memorable moment here nonetheless. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Well, you know, Vince is taking real good care of Yoko creatively. Yeah, and uh, to see Austin to get that win was a shock, surprise, especially because of the length of the match, because of the ring malfunction. Uh, but no, we didn't want hit, we didn't want all the, the, the heat of the fire, a little fire emoji, uh, to be lost. So you had to keep Steve somewhat. Uh, he should have been on a card in a different role in hindsight, but he wasn't, so we made, you know, we made the best out of what we had, but, uh, that, that scenario with Yoko was, uh, very timely in the build of Stone Cold Steve Austin, people forget about it. It was you know, a lot of people didn't see it. Some people have never seen it because it wasn't on the pay-per-view. Now you can go back and stream the hell out of it.
1: Yeah. So the crowd's starting to cheer Steve a little more here. Uh, Brian Pillman, by the way, is now at least going to be on camera a little more and they're at least teasing some things when they pass each other in the aisles and whatnot. And then Austin was scheduled to work Savio Vega at in your house buried alive. We covered that recently in the archives, but. It didn't happen because Vega wound up getting hurt and instead he's replaced by Hunter Hearst Helmsley, but that's worth discussing a little bit. Savio was more of a baby face. Austin was more of a heel, but when Savio goes down, they don't get another baby face to replace him. They get another heel. They get Hunter Hearst Helmsley. So now we've got a heel match, but the crowd is solidly behind Austin. And it's interesting to think, you know, these guys are going to go on to become, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin and. And, and the cerebral assassin and blah, 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 but we see him early here in an all heel match, but boy, the fans don't want any part of that. They want to cheer Steve Austin. It's pretty fun to watch the evolution of this character.
2: Yeah. And, uh, nothing we could do. Nothing those boys could do in that match was going to come out any different. And uh, quite frankly, at the end of the day, Austin was finally getting what he wanted that rebel, uh, anti establishment baby face who doesn't have to change how he works, but can, can laugh up the perks of being a top baby face star in merch sales, et cetera. Cause we're not talking about just a couple of bucks here on his merch sale thing. We're talking about a lot of money, uh, being, being changed hands. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, I Steve was and triple H wanted to be a heel. So there you go. Worked out fine. Yeah. I thought those guys had it. They had good chemistry too. Steve and Hunter always had, I thought, good. I can't remember them having a stinker. And that's hard to say because they wrestle each other so much.
1: Survivor Series 96 is next. Of course, uh, on the way, we're going to have Austin build up a whole bunch of uh, fun stuff here with Brian Pillman. We recently covered the whole Brian Pillman thing in the archive, so go check that out. Uh, but it all starts really when Bret Hart announces he's coming back. Pillman is celebrating when he sees it on the backstage monitor. Austin sort of gives him the evil eye. They have the interview at superstars where Brian Pillman is trying to play Roddy Piper, I suppose, but he has too many compliments for Bret Hart that annoys his old friend, Steve Austin, who then stomps at <laughs> the ankle. And then what do you know? We start beating up cameramen and running our mouth on live wire. And then we do a, a breaking and entering with a gun. And this is all right. happening with Brian Pillman who can't wrestle in order to build up the match with Bret Hart. Brad Hart's been pretty vocal over the years that he didn't really like the edgy adult stuff. Do you know where he was on the whole gun angle? We, you and I never asked that.
2: Uh, I can't imagine him being overwhelmed with it. Yeah. Cause it was so non-traditional. I, I wasn't a big fan of it either. I found it to be unrealistic. Uh, but it was, you know, a lot of people thought it was good TV. And, I, and another thing about Brian. He, you mentioned Brian couldn't wrestle because of his physical status. He came up with all those ideas. He, cause he wanted to stay in the game. He was finding a way. We talked about Jake Roberts a while ago, are or you, are you, we don't have anything for you. But you want to be an agent. Well, if you don't have anything else, of course, uh, those are, those are just things that happen in the business. And, uh, but uh, Steve was just, uh, he just. He just had a, he had a hell bent personality that was not going to be denied. And anybody that tried to stand in his way was going to get run over.
1: It's an unbelievable match that we're building towards stone cold, Steve Austin and Bret Hart. Uh, I know we've uh, talked about it before, but I want to play the promo because it's an interesting change of pace. You know, you shoot stone cold, Steve Austin and, and what looks like uh, what's well, all black and white. And uh, it looks like a pretty rough area. And he's just running that mouth in classic Stone Cold fashion. Let's take a listen. Because this is one heck of a promo package that you put together for this show. Here we go. In three. Pink
3: What the hell is that all about, this is no ballet class, Sunglasses and sparklers. What a load of crap. So, Brett, you're coming back to continue a legacy? Uh-uh. Stone Cold's going to make your comeback a living hell. You, know, you can start begging for some mercy you right will now beg for you're mercy you're not gonna find it i think you're completely pathetic <laughs> you're the best there is was and ever will be whatever Son, you're looking at the best Austin there is. 316 oh brett the whole world knows that you quit because you lost to sean Mike. the pretty boy the boy toy kicked your ass back to canada you couldn't face yourself and you damn sure couldn't face you ran away, away in shame Oh, you should have picked another time to come back, I ain't son. No sexy when the boy. bell rings and it's time to get down to business, I don't dance, I'm going to take seven years of frustration and being pissed off out on your ass. Think about it like this, Brett. You can finally go home, look yourself in the mirror, and get a little peace of mind because you will know you were indeed beaten by a real man.
1: I mean, I'm ready to go watch that match again right now.
2: Uh, yeah. Those two guys, those two guys have, have a future. You know, Steve, there's a beautiful part about that too. Uh, I was listening to somebody on busted open, uh, recently talk about, uh, being an NXT and then being on the, and other companies, uh, where that have TV like impact or somewhere where, whereas impact gave him some bullet points and he went out there and did a, his own promo and he felt good about it. And in NXT, the thing that they were worried about is missing a line. Cause then the writers to take exception, like you're doing it on purpose. You're screwing up my copy. My work of art is being compromised. Give me a fucking break. You guys got to be shitting me how anybody could really think that you're doing a talent of a, a favor by writing out their promo, telling them how they should think, well, instead of it being a, a, a pro oh, pro or somebody that has a, a lot of experience, those thoughts are coming out of some kid's mind. They're, they're a writer's, it's a writer's creation. And I don't know how many, I don't know. I just, it seems to me ill, ill faded, but I might be wrong about that. But I know one thing. I always hated to come to TV and have a script. I got to do a promo. And here's what they want you to say. Cause I want to lib live guys, you, you know, and for better or for worse, but Kyle Lee, man, let me see what we got in these guys. And that's what best Vince finally did with Steve. He saw the audience is buying everything Austin said. So Vince started creating, making, making sure creative like that video and that interview you displayed, uh, it was all, it, it was all refined. It was all strategic. And it enhanced his image that he wanted. And Vince was sold. That was a good that, that promo and how it was approved and how it was done was a great illustration, maybe the best illustration we've talked about today, of Vince's increased trust in Stone Cold. Yes. And him realizing, look, I'm not gonna we're not gonna screw this deal up. And uh, luckily we didn't.
1: The way it was shot, uh the, the language they let him get away with, the whole thing. It made it feel like a main event and it's just the co main event, but he and Brett stole the show. Uh, and then of course, Sean and said, you know, had Sid's best match ever and, and a world title switch and really a pretty monumental show here. Survivor series 96. Um, I do want to mention something because on the heels of that match, you're at the desk and you're saying. Bret Hart brought his a game. There was no ring rust. He needed every bit of it to beat stone Cold. that sort of line of thinking. And then when you get finished, Vince says, I totally disagree. Now that's a different, uh, thing that we didn't normally see from Vince normally in years later, of course, he would be in the backstage area and yelling in your headset, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're selling <laughs> your ass off here and now the owner of the company at your left elbow, just says, I totally disagree. Boy, he's not leaving you a lot of wiggle room there, is he? No, oh, I didn't mind it at all because I was more proper than Vince.
2: <laughs> For sure. So uh and I gave Brett and I gave Steven out. Yes. We didn't Brett Hart didn't come back as a wounded animal and, and limp out of there with a win. Right. Uh you know, uh he he had his A game. He was as good as he ever was. And on a on a given night, the, the outcome could be very much very different. You've always got to give the guy, do, doing the job, doing the honors, give him an out. You got to, Yeah, you got to make them a little bit whole. I, I've told, I tell announcers that all the time. You'd be very surprised. The announcers are progressing to contact me for a tip or advice. It might not make all their employees, employers happy, but they're looking for guidance, that's all feedback, positive feedback. And, uh, but you know, Steve was, uh certainly had created this image that he had fought so hard for. And it looked like many times he was not going to be successful, but he refused to lose Just refused.
1: The next night on raw, it's an underrated classic of that time. It's Steve Austin versus mankind. Now remember both of these guys a year prior were in WCW, not the case here. Uh, Vader was scheduled originally for this match, but he got hurt the night before. And this is one of the early examples of the WWE main event style. That would be to come Uh, there's brawling. There's a lot of time outside of the ring. Austin ultimately gets the win by DQ after the executioner, AKA Terry Gordy under a hood interferes, but go out of your way to check this out. I mean, we know later Austin and mankind are going to have some classics, but that's two years later uh, here where they're both getting their feet underneath them as WWF characters. This is a really, really good match. Uh, and then we would see Austin interfere in the middle of an Owen Brett match on raw, which starts to plant the seeds of bulldog and Owen breaking up as well as Owen and Austin aligning against Brett. Do you think there was ever talk of a, a bulldog Brett tag team against an Owen Austin tag team?
2: Oh, sure. There was discussion about it because it have been a great, I think it'd be a great booking, Yeah, great chemistry. The match quality would have been superb without question.
1: In your, in your house, it's time is our next pay-per-view. It's the last one of December, 96. Uh, we just recently covered on something to wrestle and you see Austin on the show, but in order to see him, he's uh, not in a match, he's interfering in Davy and Owen's tag title defense against fake razor and fake diesel. Uh, but Davy boy and Austin get into it again. I'm only mentioning this because even though he's not on the card, they're keeping him in front of the audience. They want to make sure that he's at the forefront of your mind. Uh, we got to keep him in front of you. He's got to be prominent. And the next night on raw Vader and Austin open the show. Uh, so as a note here for the past few months, whenever there's a pay-per-view the next night on raw, who's in the very first segment, stone cold, Steve Austin.
2: It tells you something, man. Yes, it does. A quarter hour ratings, uh, uh, have indicated that we like him. Yes. And we'd like to see more of this guy. We're not sure what he's doing. We're not sure where he's going. God damn. We're enjoying the hell out of it. And so, a lot, as I said earlier, when I was trying to find that word vicariously, there's a lot of men, eighteen to forty-nine, that shaved their head and grew goatees because they could—they wanted to live vicariously through that beer drinking, you know, hell, 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 hell bending or whatever, uh, beer drinking, beer. hell raising, all that deal. He wasn't limousine riding, no, jet flying. He was, but it was the same thing. It's just different vehicles. So he was driving a pickup truck, and people could identify with him. They could identify with being pissed off at your boss. I'm not making enough money. I'm working too many hours, et cetera, et etc. Cetera. Uh, I worried about taking care of my family, all those things. People could understand that. And Austin always had a very subtle sense of desperation that is hard to uh, encapsulate and describe. but he that's this match has had this keen sense of urgency and it made him feel vulnerable without begging and scraping back enough and, and all those things that a heel would do. Uh, he didn't have too many reverse gears. And then when he tried to do it as a heel, it didn't work, but he, he was just, uh, uh, uh he had fa- we had found what we were looking for and now it's just a matter of getting to that promised land and, and getting Steve to the top of the card, uh, and making him champion at some point sooner than later.
1: Uh, Brett is going to uh, attack Austin and put him in the sharpshooter. As the story continues, of course, Austin is now announced as uh, going to compete in the Royal Rumble in San Antonio. As a reminder, he started nineteen ninety six as the ringmaster and the million dollar champion with Ted DiBiase in his corner and uh, slipping on some baby oil to get eliminated in the Royal Rumble in ninety six. <laughs> but in ninety seven, he wins the whole damn thing and steals the show. When do you think you knew Steve Austin's winning the Royal Rumble? Oh gosh, early.
2: Cuz uh, you look at things who who do we, who should we push and put over give the almighty push to. And uh, you'd be surprised Conrad how many books I signed here my my my, my man Stephen Link at my at our our, our website uh jrsbarbecue.com by the way. Subtle plug, not too subtle. And by the way, thanks to everybody that bought Christmas items and stocking stuffers and are making our, our stuff part of your normal fare. I appreciate it very, very much. We had a, had a great holiday season and still selling baby. Sell, sell, sell. Uh, I'm not sure where we were, but nonetheless, where were we Conrad?
1: Well, we were talking about all the great stuff over at jrsbbq.com. But Before <laughs> we get there. I want to, yeah. I want to mention this question from big meat, which uh, actually works with Jr seasoning was king of the ring or the matches with Bret Hart, Austin's breakthrough moment. In your opinion, Jim, Bret Hart. I agree. Uh, and I'm not,
2: and, and the king of the ring had a much more, uh, had, had more cachet. it seems to me like in that era than it does now it needs a fresh coat of paint, uh, in my opinion, it's still got. Clout, it's got, you got equity in it. you built equity in it. Uh, and it is, it's a, it still has some cachet. As I said, but is that was a uh, Bret Hart's. I don't know if Steve would have got to where Steve got to, uh, like he did. If it worked for Bret Hart, Bret Hart's is bigger reason that, uh, Steve Austin became stone cold as anybody. Cause after his performances, their matches together, everybody saw there was no flaw in Austin. He's a real deal. Cause he's pushing Bret Hart to the exact limit of where a man should have to go to win a match. They had great chemistry, respect. They didn't do spots to make you roll your eyes. They weren't slapping in their face or slapping their hip. All that silly shit. Uh, they just went out and wrestled. And I think that's what at the end of the day, most fans are really most interested in.
1: Well, we hope that you guys are interested in jrsbbq.com uh, just before we, uh, recorded, I, uh, went over into the kitchen and I went ahead and seasoned supper tonight, a little liberal coating of Jr's bbq, the all purpose seasoning, and it you. works great on everything. We had it last night on pork chops. We're having it tonight on chicken. It works with everything. We've even heard people putting it on popcorn eggs. Yep. You can't go wrong with all purpose seasoning from jrsbbq.com, Right.
2: Yeah, you're right. And, uh, oh, I had, uh, I was telling you before we started recording today. I, I was at Publix the other day and I went by the, did I tell you the story already on air? No. Um, but I, I discovered skyline chili. They have two kinds in the frozen food department. Uh, and I get the one with the spaghetti. So it's chili and spaghetti. And I got some cheese. I do it when I, it's microwave nine minutes. Uh, but I used, I love skyline chili. You know, I loved it when I was. Being I mean, able to eat there the first few times. I know when Raphael and I were driving to Cincinnati uh, earlier this year, we made a point to stop at a Skyline Chili on the way in. So uh, that's what I had today. I had a little Skyline Chili, nine minutes in a microwave, and I'm just happy as hell. And I may have that for Christmas dinner. If I get in the mood for it, I may have that Christmas dinner. Hell, I don't know. And I'm not feeling sorry about it. Poor me. Let's see the JR some food. No, you ain't got to do that. I'm going to be fine. Cause I got a lot of Crown Royal.
1: There you go.
2: Hey, I found Conrad. I found some Crown Royal the other day. I still been looking for that uh, that that high dollar brand that you treated me with. Yeah, I can't find it anywhere. I can't find way. it locally either. Yeah, I can't find it nationally. I've I've put out a search, but I went to the liquor store the other day, the biggest one here that uh, that I've been in here in Jacksonville, and uh, they didn't have it, but they had this other kind. That was 18 year old
1: crown Royal. You ever have that? Just got a bottle. Haven't cracked it yet though, but I oh, saw about man. a few weeks ago. What do you think? Oh, you're going to like it, man. Good. Smooth as a baby's ass. Good.
2: Sipping whiskey. And, uh, needs about two ice cubes. Just keep it kind of cool. And, uh, I absolutely love it. It's 150 bucks a bottle.
1: Yeah. They're proud of it. Oh, buddy.
2: And that's when you really start sipping. You sip real good little sits, little dainty little sips when you're uh you're paying a buck fifty for a what I guess it's a what a, a fifth?
1: A fifth, yeah.
2: Yeah. So I'm uh I went crazy on the first couple of days I bought it because it's so smooth. It's like drinking Snapple. And uh well not quite, but nonetheless, it was good. So I'm trying to that's gonna become my holiday beverage, little sipping uh eighteen is it fifteen or eighteen year old, whatever it was. Eighteen I think. You're gonna like it, Conrad. And don't mix it with nothing. Will do. Please don't. Don't do it. Okay, if nothing else, just for the holidays, uh, and for the and for our friendship. Two ice cubes. Two ice cubes and sip it and see how you like it before you start creating ways to to water it down with Coke Zero or yeah ginger ale or whatever. I watered down with two ice cubes and I enjoy the shit out of it. Hey, I got another request from our audience. I got, a, I got, a, I, I I've been thinking about, uh, some more t-shirts, right? Cause everybody's making some money on t-shirts and I've been, I had even I got t-shirts at pro and AEW.com, w.com shop.com. Not many few, but I'd like to have something that says maybe as simple as JR just beat cancer's ass.
1: Yeah, I like or that.
2: Jr. beat cancer's ass. I think of that might might be a bad theme. Now I don't know how to dress it all up, or if there's something else could be
1: said better. Maybe it's Jr.'s Jr. four twenty says I just smoked <laughs> barbecue's ass. Smoked cancer's ass. Yeah, yeah, we'll, JR420, we'll come up with yeah. something. It's an idea. Yeah. So uh, I got an idea. I don't know that you'll like it, but next week we're going to close out 2021 with a look back at starcade 91 it's battle bowl. The lethal lottery, maybe one of the worst ideas in pay-per-view history. We put a bunch of random dudes and tag teams together and whoever wins gets into a battle Royal. We'll also be talking about Lex Luger's contractual status and happiness with WCW, the continued legal battle with the WCW title and Ric Flair, the WWF running two pay-per-views in one week. Portland wrestling officially closing and how Donald Trump made WCW move super brawl 92 before it ever happened. Uh, there's a, a lot of moving parts. This is a crazy time in WCW 1991. Is it not? Yes, it is. And it's involving some major personalities. You mentioned a lot of those
2: guys Arguably, the greatest champion ever in the nature, the former president of the United States, uh, and, and all these other names that play a big part in our business's history. So, uh, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be uh, one full of backstory. Like you said, I I wouldn't watch what we're doing. If it's just to talk about a great show, there are moments that are really interesting, but the backstage uh, goings on are what's really intriguing. And we'll share those next week.
1: I'm looking forward to it. We hope you guys have a very merry Christmas. Thanks for spending some time with us today on Christmas Eve's Eve. We'll be back next week, but before you listen to us, we want you to watch Dynamite next Wednesday because JR is going to stomp a mud hole in Cancer's ass, walk it dry and be the voice of wrestling next Wednesday night on TNT. Jim, we're glad you're coming back, man. We've missed you.
2: Uh, thank you, Conrad. I'm I'm excited about the about that and you know, unless something rears its ugly head at the 11th hour, uh that's the schedule we're going to be on That's the schedule we're going to keep and and uh I'm excited about getting back on the air with my buddies, Tony. Tony's in a little, getting a little controversy here lately. is he? Yeah. I heard on busted open where he, he called on the air. He called, uh, Dave LaGreca SOB.
1: Oh, good. Well, LaGreca deserves that. He's a, <laughs> oh. no, he's a nothing happening. Son of a gun. So, uh, something, oh, something else he had to do with uh
2: rebel. What was that story?
1: I know nothing.
2: All right, good. So now we know there's something because that's, that's how we wrestling fans think. We'd rather the glass is always half empty. Uh, well, anyway, I, I look, I worked for Tony for 30, for 30 years and I love working with him and, uh, we're going to create some more magic Hope in that TBS show. I say that, and I've not been told I'm going to be on it, but I kind of got a feeling I will be and, uh, but it's going to be fun, but it's going to be fun to get back to work here. The fans see the fans. Uh, they say the advance for uh place place uh, next week is excellent. So it should be a, it's got like a homecoming. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, I think Tony Khan has his big, uh, New Year's Eve party somewhere in that tied to that, uh, that booking. So, uh, that's always nice. Free food. If it's free Conrad, it's for me.
1: Do you think, um, they'll have urban Meyer strung up there? For the locals to come take a shot, an at effigy, maybe. yeah, maybe.
2: Uh, I think they kind of want to distance themselves in the Urban Meyer situation. Of
1: course, I'm just kidding.
2: That's the big story in Jacksonville. Who's going to be the next football coach? H-
1: who do you it's think? A- I'm, I'm campaigning for Jim Ross. Oh
2: no, yeah, all right. Uh, I am campaigning for someone with NFL experience that knows how to coach a, a, an outstanding, potentially outstanding young quarterback, a Byron Leftwich. Uh I, I like Eric Biamini. Uh I don't dislike uh uh God dang it. What's the guy's name that was at uh, Philadelphia Doug? Uh, he won won the Super Bowl. Uh and I can't remember his last name. I guess I'm not too high on him. Um uh, but there's a lot of experienced guys, but you gotta be NFL friendly, experienced. And understanding the locker room, which Urban never did.
1: Doug Peterson, see you were trying to think. Doug of. Peterson, yeah. Yeah.
2: He's also been in the in a conversation on the news. This is not from the cons. Shaw didn't call me and say, hey, JR, what are you doing with this coaching <laughs> <thing?"> <laughs> Now, if he did, I'd give him some feedback, but it's sure. not really my role right now. Sure. So uh th- it's gonna be fun to see that. They got the number one pick in a draft again. They got 70 million dollars under the cap money available. So if you get somebody that's a smart dude, man, that knows how to put the pieces together, how many draft picks in the top 10 or 15 or 20. Can you parlay for with the number one pick, right? If there's not a clear cut number one pick, what can you gain by trading it? And I don't think that's a bad idea. If there was a different year and there was is a year of the quarterback or whatever, but it isn't, uh, I, I, I just think that that would be Something to consider and maybe consider down the road. It would seem to me to be very, very advantageous, Conrad, to get everybody hired that needs to be hired in place before the draft and make this draft of a mother bear. And like I said, it could be involved trades, it may involve whatever whatever, but there's a lot of players that are closely clumped together. And normally Mel Kofer Junior and Mel Koffer the third and Mel Koffer the fourth, all those Kefers. They get their shit together here. Uh, so there's a lot of guys that are one A's one B's one C's. So what do you gain by just holding on to that pick? You now there's one offensive lineman or a wide receiver. That was, uh, that was the thing. Like some of those Alabama kids in the last two or three years, then I might change my tune and keep the pick, but unless it's a special player that fills that one need that is essential to be filled. I'm thinking maybe you trade that one, one, number one pick and, and bankroll a bunch of those, uh, those draft picks and use that $70 million to rebuild your team. But to do that, you're going to have to have an expert and that expert's got to be somebody that's been in the, been in the rooms, as they say, the team rooms, the quarterback rooms, and they got to take care of, uh, Trevor Lawrence. So, uh. As the hair turns in Jacksonville,
1: it's going to be fun, man. <laughs> Tune in next Wednesday. We're hopeful that, uh, JR will be there telling you that he's beat cancer's ass and, right. uh, Colin wrestling, which is where we love him. And we hope that you love the show we did today. And I guarantee you're going to love next week. Cause JR and I are going to have a lot of fun making fun of a really bad show. Starcade 91 coming up next week, right here. And, bo- and bowl predictions Conrad. Oh yeah. And bowl predictions. Oh shit. Gotta have shit.
2: that. Gotta Big things. So uh Conrad, uh thank you very much for this year. Thank you, and dude. This is a fun have year. A, have a hell of a Christmas with all your loved ones there. I'm I'm envious. I'd be a part of it if I could, but you know, with my goddamn foot swollen up and hard to walk and taking two flights. It's a little bit more
1: than no fat boy can handle. So but I'll be there in spirit. Looking forward to it, man. All right, buddy. We'll see you guys next week, buddy. Thanks. I'm grilling J.
0: Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris host of fantasy NBA today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game, every day.